Kearney Show on WPTF uh, AM 680 and now at 98.5 FM. A little bit of live and in real time radio on this Tuesday night. It's June 16th, Bloomsday for those of you who are interested in things like that. But tonight we're going to talk about another book, a book authored by a gentleman named Nicholas Graham and a lady named Cecilia Moore. It's entitled UNC, as in the University at Chapel Hill, A to Z. And we'll find out about what that's all about. Let's see if the electronic wonders have worked. Nicholas, are you there? I am. I'm always amazed when the electronics work. I've been doing this program 30 years, and I I just only believe till I actually hear your voice. Cecilia, are you with us tonight? Yes, I am. Are you ready to talk about your book? We are. Okay. Absolutely. UNC A to Z. First of all, uh, and, and in our previous conversations, I haven't really talked to you much about this, but could each of you tell, you know, just a, the 50-cent version of your background, you know, what, what uh, where, maybe where you were educated and what your uh, job is or if you're retired, those kinds of things. Nicholas? Uh, sure. Um, I am the university archivist at UNC Chapel Hill, so I work in Wilson Library with the official records of the university. And I've been working in Wilson Library for uh, a little over 15 years. Um, I, I grew up in Athens, Georgia, but I've been in in, in Chapel Hill, Carborough area for for nearly 20 years now. And um, I have a master's degree in library and information science from, okay. from UNC Chapel Hill. Excellent. And uh, for instance, uh, for our listeners, uh, Nicholas said something that I might know might not know what it meant. I actually do, but I might not. And I could look up in this book and find out the answer. What is the Wilson Library, and what role does it play at at uh, UNC? Cecilia, what about your background? Um, I am a North Carolinian by um, moving here and living here longer than I've lived anywhere. So I'm a Southerner by birth, and I was I am retired. But until I retired last fall, I was the university historian at UNC Chapel Hill. I have degrees from NC State University and from UNC Chapel Hill. Okay, fine. And uh, I discovered, I think, the other night, our audience will, will know about this, that you uh, have worked with or were a student of Dr. Joe Cadell at one time in your period of study at Chapel Hill. I believe that's right. Yes. And uh, that, that is a recommendation to us. He's one of our favorite historians. Okay, the book is UNC A to Z, and I want you to know I enjoyed it. I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't give me any money. I really haven't been able to put it down all day today. And what we're going to discover tonight is what it's about, why they wrote it, Nicholas and Cecilia, and what use that it could be put to. Um, One of you, and you can can lead each other as you would... uh, why did why did you write this book? Uh, well, it sounds like both of you were already in the kind of the research business, and I can imagine that people ask you a lot of questions, and you finally decided that you'd like to write a book that they could put on their shelves that would answer a lot of those questions. That that's exactly right. Um, you know, the same questions were coming up over and over again, and you know, we we're always able to look up the answers, um, but you know, we we felt that there was a need for this. It's it's been. Um, you know, more than 25 years since there's been a comprehensive history of UNC Chapel Hill, and so many questions are coming up um, about building names, about, you know, names and dates, when things first started. And so, I get, you know, speaking for me, you know, personally, I was 
uh, working as a reference librarian when I first started working in Wilson Library, and I was inspired by the example of um, William S. Powell's trio of reference books that I think a lot of people will be familiar with, the North Carolina Gazetteer, the Dictionary of North Carolina Biography, and the Encyclopedia of North Carolina. And it, you know, it felt to me that um, we needed something like that for, for UNC Chapel Hill, and you know, since nobody else was doing one, Cecilia and I decided to take it on. Cecilia, do you um, want to add something to that? Uh, yes, yes. In a similar way, while um, Nick often got questions from students, I was working in the chancellor's office and in administration, and I often got questions from new administrators who um, did not understand an issue or did not understand a particular event and wanted to know more about the background of it. So there are multiple audiences for trying to help people learn about a history that's more than 225 years old. And it has a very interesting history. One of the questions that I had sort of put in my mind to ask you is to say, in terms of this book, and I think in a way you both have already answered this, but what this book is and what it isn't. Uh, and I, I won't want you to, to maybe react to that because I'm about ready to recommend it as a good Christmas present for anybody who ever went to the University of Chapel Hill. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in on that. Um, that's definitely, we knew that we wanted to do a book that was um, sort of a first stop for people. It wouldn't be the whole full definitive history, but it would be a first stop for people who wanted um a quick answer to a question or who wanted to know how to learn more about something. And so our audience was students and alumni and community members who um, wanted to be able to sort of pick up the book and open it anywhere and learn something. And parents, too. Um, you know, Father's Day is coming up, so you don't want to wait for Christmas. <laughs> Get your uh, alumni parents a, a copy, too. You're, yeah, we, you're, you're a good man, um, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that it would be, um, you know, fun and readable, but also authoritative. You know, this is backed by research, um, and, you know, we wanted it to be something that, you know, people could, you know, revisit some of their favorites, um, but even people who have, you know, been long associated with UNC, um, we expect that, um, you know, there'd still be little tidbits here and there that, that they would learn that maybe they didn't know about the campus. So it should be fun whether you're coming to UNC history new or, um, you know, as, as a longtime alum. Well, if you spend any I spent three years there as a graduate student, and if you spent any time there and you were interested in history as I was, you got to wonder, uh, well, who... It's, you you referred earlier to the Wilson Library. Well, who was Wilson? Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and then, of course, the university is a very historic campus, I think the first public university in the United States, and it has an old well and an old east. Well, what is old east? You know, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you the truth. The first thing I looked up when I got the book was the uh, Ten Camp. <laughs> and one of the things I That's think... Right. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, um, you know, one of the things that we had a lot of fun with was the buildings that aren't there anymore. So the Tin Can is there, uh, Stewards Hall, um, one of the earliest buildings on campus, um, you know, the original Memorial Hall. So, you know, this isn't just like the UNC campus as it is now, but also, you know, as it existed over time. 
Well, I think what we ought to do tonight is to talk a little bit about how you chose the things that you you put into your book. But at the end of your acknowledgments, uh, you asked all those people who who backed you and worked with you and talked with you and listened to you to uh, to go. You thank them for going along with you because you uh, they would listen at every chance you have to regale them with some story of of something that about Chapel Hill. And I, I, I would like for you to put us in the the place of that audience and regale us with a few things that uh, perhaps sort of the, well, what was the f- first thing that you would look up in if you were doing the, the uh, doing what I did? And uh, there was, uh, I, I, the second thing I looked up was something called the scuttlebutt. And students mm-hmm. of late at Chapel Hill would not have any idea what the scuttlebutt was. But if you were there during World War II and I was there in the late 60s, it was still there then. So I got to, find out a little bit of the history of it, that, that kind of thing. So will you, uh, to tonight, with some explanation of why you're choosing things and so on, do regale us a little bit with some of the stories of the special places at Chapel Hill that you have uh, you have uh, included in UNC A to Z. The book we're talking about tonight, Nicholas Graham, and Cecilia Moore are our guests, and we'll be back with them in just a couple of minutes. WCTF, and we're talking with Nicholas Graham and Cecilia Moore about a new book published by UNC Press, by the way, and I think the publication date was two or three weeks ago in May, and it's it's available at your bookstores now or from the usual sources, uh, Amazon, etc. Uh, it's UNC A to Z, and I neglected to give the subtitle, What Every Tar Heel Needs to Know About the First State University, and right there in the subtitle are a couple of of items that I could have researched, but uh, I'm going to bring up an item that I researched today. I used it for research just today. But I did say to Nicholas and to Cecilia, are you there, folks? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, if if you, uh, this is your program as much as mine, uh, and if it, there is some topic that you want to bring up and, and run with, feel free to do it. This is your program, and I, I'll stop you somewhere and say we have to take a break. But other than that, we'll just... Uh, try to inform folks as much as we can about the book. I did say there was one one topic that I wanted to bring up, and that was the question of what this book is and what it isn't. And I say that because you, in, in your introduction, you say there are two subjects that you really go light on, and one is academics and the other is athletics, because there are, uh, in in most cases, books already that, that have the kind of information that you want there. Could you speak to that issue? I'm sure, yeah, I can talk about athletics. Maybe Cecilia can talk about academics. Um, You know, there are, you know, so many passionate UNC sports fans and, you know, a number of, you know, outstanding books, um, you know, especially about basketball. But, you know, more than that, there's, you know, there's books about Anson Dorrance, the legendary women's soccer coach. Um, There's books about Carolina football. Um, You know, Lee Pace has a recent one out about Keenan Stadium, which is terrific. Um, and then the, the athletic department themselves published so much information in their media guides. We felt that it would be, you know, a little redundant to repeat all of that here. And, you know, if we went into that level of depth, it would, you know, overwhelm, overwhelm the book. So we, um, you know, wanted to focus on, on the history and on the origins of some of the, you know, major sports at Carolina. Um, you know, some stories about sports that aren't, um, around anymore. UNC used to have a varsity boxing team in the early 20th century, which is an interesting story. Um, 
But um, yeah, the the idea was that you know there's there's such a wealth of information online and elsewhere on UNC sports, and we didn't feel like we needed to either compete with that or um, you know add anything else there. So really, our focus was on the origins of of athletics at UNC and some of the spaces uh, around campus where that is, that have hosted sporting events. Cecilia, that's true, and and with academics. We tried to um, broadly tell the story of, of the um, professional schools, such as the law school and the School of Public Health and the School of Medicine, but to try and do something about each academic specialty or each department would have been very hard to do as they are well-known within their discipline, but we couldn't really... We couldn't do justice to them in a short amount of, that would be an entry, and so we we opted to not try and do go to that depth. Somebody else will have to do that, and in fact, that's the kind of thing, Cecilia, that I imagine you've been working on until your retirement. Well, and it could be, and as I would, and and I would mention that while they're not necessarily um, broadly circulated. Quite a few departments and schools have written their own history over the years, and um, and they've done a much better and more thorough job than we could have done in a book like this. That's right. I can imagine. Uh, I, of course, went to graduate school at Chapel Hill in history, and there I'm still I'm an amateur historian, but there there I can imagine there would be a time that I would want to look up, uh, say, a man named Howard Odom that you. May or may I don't know whether you covered him in this book or not. I haven't looked to see it yet, but uh, he's a, he did start something, and you may it may have been one of the things that you wanted to identify. Uh, but before we go, yeah, there, you'll find. Pardon me. Yeah, you'll find an in- entries for both the Odom Institute and Odom Village, um, and then the you know one of the things that we weren't able to do, um, and it was, it was a hard discussion was include biographical entries, separate biographical right. entries. Um, you know, for a number of reasons, um, similar to athletics that would have overwhelmed the book and then biographical entries, especially, you know, there'd be a lot of controversy about who was included, who wasn't, and they'd be out of date quickly. So what we tried to do was make sure all of the major figures in UNC history were covered elsewhere. And a lot of times that's in building names or in other areas where they might've been associated with. So if you look at the, the entry for the Odom Institute for Research and Social Science, um, that includes a history of that, you know, really, you know, vital and and historic organization, but also just a, a brief sketch of who Howard Odom is and his contribution to UNC. And it's something that would lead you to go somewhere else. Most of you might want to take a shot at this. Is there one thing that you wrote about that you could not wait to write about it? That uh, it's the, the first thing I remember. I well, I, the I did some sketches for the aforementioned William Powell several years ago. And there were one or two of them that I enjoyed writing, and the rest of them, it was hard work, if you know what I mean. But I just really enjoyed the certain ones and couldn't wait to begin with them. I'm the kind of person who usually puts the dessert last, but in this case, I put it first. Uh, is there, was there any particular topic, like the Gimgul Castle or something, that you couldn't wait to write about? Um, this is Cecilia. I would say... One of those entries for me was the Horace Williams Airport, mm-hmm. which is no longer open. It just it closed um, last last year, but um, it allowed me to sort of learn a whole lot more about an aspect of UNC's history 
and the medical air program and the Capitol aviation history. And so it was exciting for me to get to do that more. Nicholas? Um, for me, it was some of the kind of more fun student traditions that I enjoyed writing about. So I think I did the first draft of the entry on streaking, which acknowledges UNC's students briefly holding the, the world record for the largest group streak, which was, I think, in 1973 or 1974, when more than a 1,000 of them ran naked through campus. Um, things like that. Um, the Cardboard Club, which, um, depending on how long ago you were there, you may remember, that was when students organized um, group signs, you know, holding up pieces of cardboard that were decorated, and they'd make a composite picture or, or saying at a football game. Um, so some of the things like that, the, the Beat Duke Parade was another one. Some of the student traditions that I think were a little more fun and, um, you know, are not as well known now either because they don't exist or, you know, have changed so much. But, uh, but the ones that are not as well known now, that's the real reason, I think, that uh, for, for doing a book like this is I was there a long time ago, 50 years ago, but I, I wanted to look and find out what you had to say about all the mysterious places on uh, the students could tap into on Franklin Street. Uh, the, the, there were a bunch. I think you said nine men's stores, right, almost next to next right. each other, going down the street. And who in the world was Danziger? And one of the places that my wife and I used to go to when we were dating was called The Rat. Uh, mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that, that I wanted to know, the, the, the story of those places and where they fitted in, because they were a part of the the whole... You didn't just deal with academia, but a part of the Chapel Hill culture, you know, when you dealt with the streets. I would agree, and I, and I would think... I, I would also say that for... You know, since undergraduates are there for a very short time, generally, only four to five years at the most, they come to campus and they will hear stories of stuff that happened or places on Franklin Street that existed maybe even as recently as 10 years ago, and they don't know those stories. And so that was part of the audience that we had in mind as we were wanting to tell some of those stories from your era, for example. I'm going to try not to do this tonight, but uh, a story that I heard when I was there, because I always enjoyed going across Franklin Street to eat lunch and just kind of watching the people walk by. But I heard a story one time that there was a place called Jeff's Confectionery, uh, which was next to one of the theaters uh, on Franklin Street. And it burned down and they rebuilt it at one time. But somebody in New York wanted to send them a letter. And what they did is they sent it to Jeff's Carolina. That's all they put on the envelope and they got there. <laughs> I, I believe that. That you know, and that you know, and that's w one thing that I don't know how well it's conveyed here, but what a, what a small town it was for a long time. But yeah, I don't. There's nothing on Jeff's in the the book. Um, you know, m making choices about which of the Franklin Street businesses to include was kind of a tough decision. We went for some of the most legendary and longest running, like like the Rathskeller was definitely one, the Carolina Coffee Shop, Julian's Clothing Store is, is an, right. has an entry there. And when we come back, we need to stop now and take a break and check on the news, but when we come back, talk a little bit about the Intimate Bookshop, because it was a, it was a, a landmark, and I thought it was there a lot longer than it was when I read, read the account. We're talking about UNC A to Z, more after the news. Live and in real time, and we have a 
great book. Uh, in fact, uh, when when your producer comes on during the break and starts talking about places that he used to like to go in Chapel Hill, and he's not even a, a Tar Heel, you know that you've got a, an interesting book. And I've enjoyed reading it and uh, 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 spent most of the day. But every time I put it down, I would pick it up again and look at it and read another item. It's, it's short items, uh, usually one or two to a page, that have to do with Chapel Hill, with UNC A to Z, and what every Tar Heel needs to know about the First State University. And the authors are Cecilia Moore and Nicholas Graham, who both who have been in research uh, in, in the historical part of the University of Chapel Hill and speak with knowledge of what they write about. Uh, uh, you too, and you can go however you want to in, in, in terms of this, uh, one of the things that I like about this book is the, the, the identification of place names. I've always been interested. I taught some at NC State over the years, and I was always amazed at the number of students I had uh, who uh, were, did not know who uh, the, the, the person was, who their, their building or their dorm was named after. And uh, when I went to Wake Forest, where I went to undergraduate school, I, I went to. I lived in a dorm that was uh, named after a man po- named Poteet who was the, one, mm-hmm. the president of the university, yeah. and one of the people that kept Darwinism out of out of North Carolina. So I was pleased to know that it was his dorm that I was living in. Uh, anything fascinating about the, the naming of the place names of the, uh, of the dorms on the campus at UNC? Uh, um, I don't know. I think um, it's... Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, this is, building names is a, a big issue, um, and it has been for years um, with people, um, you know, sometimes in curiosity and sometimes um, eager to, to challenge the namesakes. Um, it was a major issue around the time we were writing this book when uh, student activists and faculty were were challenging um, the name on Saunders Hall, which is named for William Saunders, the uh, one-time leader of the Ku Klux Klan in North Carolina, and that was eventually changed to it's now called Carolina Hall. So we knew that, you know, we had to address building names, and we had to be honest about the namesakes, and, you know, that's, that's a decent part of the book because we include every major building on campus. Um, one of the things that I found interesting in doing this, I found some early Board of Trustees notes where they actually, you know, during some of the building booms in campus when they were, you know, naming lots of new buildings, um, they... If I have this right, they made the decision that classroom buildings would be named for prominent former faculty, and that dorms would be named for you know great leaders of the state. So you know that's why you know you see a lot of faculty names like Greenlaw and and Hamilton um, on on some of the classroom buildings, um, and then you see a lot of names of state leaders um, on some of the. The, the dorms um, that hasn't been consistent throughout, but you know, just the fact that there was kind of a plan for a while, I thought was was especially interesting, and it explains why some of the names are are there now. Uh, one of the so. the uh, things that uh, I got out of following the names is I uh, my dissertation topic at Chapel Hill, the dissertation I never finished, was about a man named Mangum. So I looked up Mangum mm-hmm. Hall, which is named for him and a couple of his relatives, but. It also, the dorm apparently became famous for being kind of a, a, a place that Halloween was a big deal, if I remember correctly. And so it, 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 you were able to gather that there was something special. And it was built 
they tended to build the dorms at Chapel Hill, I think, over the years in clusters, you know, three or four at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, until they got to the South Campus, and then you, you outlined the, the development of the high-rise dorms and how they came about. That's true, and I think one of the things that we that, that really um, shows the ways in which um, the Chapel Hill Campus is so deeply part of the history of the state is when you look at all of the building names and those decisions to name buildings for governors and for distinguished leaders of the state and stuff, you can you can trace much of the history of the state in those building names. One of the things that seems to be happening at some public and indeed private institutions, though, is that buildings are no longer named for outstanding academicians or the presidents of the university, but for the guy who gave the most money. And, yeah, we've seen a combination of that um, at UNC um, in recent years. There are still buildings that are being named to honor people. Um, The new field hockey stadium was named in honor of Darren Shelton, the longtime coach. Um, There's a new computer science building, Brooks Hall, named for Fred Brooks, um, who's a pioneering computer scientist. So, you know, some are still being named in honor of people, uh, but you're right, many are being named in honor of, of the donors. I think that's consistent with what's happening at, at colleges and universities around the country. I didn't mean to, to, to indicate that that was, uh, was totally a bad thing. For instance, I think about the Moorhead uh, contributions right. to the university and the, the planetarium. I was thinking more of where, where uh, and not of special projects or special uh, initiations of buildings, but rather the academic buildings and, uh, and dormitories were tending to be named uh, for for faculty members or distinguished people who may have lived in them. Uh, James Johnson Pettigrew, for instance, is, uh, I think, a good example. Uh, if, if people know anything about the Battle of Gettysburg, they would appreciate that there was a dorm named after him. Uh, at least at one time it was a dorm. But uh, but, but but sort of selling off the, uh, the naming of, rather like the Major League Baseball stadiums now are, they're, 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 they used to be just Yankee Stadium and Ebbets Field, and now it's... Uh, uh, Exxon Mobil Yankee Stadium. Actually, it isn't, but it could be if, if they come up with enough cash uh, and so on. But uh, but uh, but the certain families, for instance, the Keenan family, the Moorhead family, and others, and and I found out about a lot of the ones that have, have not gotten as much publicity uh, that you've indicated to me who they were and what their contribution was and why they would have wanted to give a lot of money to maintain some of them. I think Walter Davis did not have any academic connection with Chapel Hill at all, as far as I can remember. And I think that's what you indicated. That's, that's part of the story you've told us. Um, that's correct. He, but he was on the Board of Trustees. Right. I think, I think you told me something I didn't know, that he was on the Board of Trustees at, at Chapel Hill and at Duke at the same time. Yes, and I haven't been able to confirm this, but I, I, I wonder if he's the only person who, who was serving on both boards at the same time. It's certainly quite an um, accomplishment to claim. Well, that's the kind of curiosity that it, that it, it sort of uh, comes up. Uh, I can remember when I was visiting Chapel Hill once when I was a student, and the my friend, I said to my friend, I'd like to have a Coke and some, something to eat. And he said, well, here, take this money and go over to the circus room. Well, I had no idea what the circus room was or where it was. But uh, that's a kind of a cute, unique thing about Chapel Hill. 
Yes, the circus room and the famous um, circus parade carving that's there. I think we've got a good picture of that in the book. And it's something that, that, that still exists. And, and some buildings, like the Monogram Club, have gone through different stages. It was an office building. Then it was a. I think, it, I, think I ate dinner there at a restaurant one time. And then it's had other uses along the way. But uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, if you're walking down the street and you wonder why is this called this, if you pop your book open, usually you can find out the answer. Well, we hope so. Or at least you'll know you'll have a good place to start. Okay. Well, one of the things that, that um, newcomers to, to the University of Chapel Hill and I, I, I liked that part where uh, the, you had the story of the funeral where the person had died and the, 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 uh, the minister had said that to Chapel Hill, somebody had asked him what, what, uh, what his definition of heaven was, that he'd given such a good eulogy. And he said, well, Chapel Hill is a lot, I mean, heaven is a lot like Chapel Hill in springtime. And, uh, and that's the kind of thing that, that a, a blue-blooded quite literally, Tar Heel likes to hear. Uh, and anything else that you'd like to, to, to bring up in terms of something that you discovered that was really, was really um, something unexpected, something that you didn't think about? I'll give you a little time to catch your breath and think about that. We're talking tonight with the authors of a new book from the UNC Press. The book is UNC A to Z, What Every Tar Heel Needs to Know About the First State University, and it has a lot of good information that, uh, well, if you read all of it, you end up with a kind of a unique and unusual history of uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And we'll find out if either of our guests tonight, uh, 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 Nicholas Graham or Cecilia Moore, has a particular item or a particular thing where they discovered something that they were really kind of t- taken off their feet and, and understood something to be different than, than they had expected to be. We'll talk about that right after this. I'm Kearney here. Before we go back to talk about our book for this evening, uh, UNC A to Z, we need to talk with you about our friends down at uh, King's Auto. When servicing your car, you need to know that the cycle of service for your car. Your cycle of service begins the month you buy your car. That cycle does not necessarily match with the normal seasonal changes. At King's Auto Service, they will schedule your service intervals based on that cycle. For those using synthetic oil or or driving limited miles, you may go months past the normal service based on those miles and will need to schedule your service two or three times a year. During your service, King's will check wipers, belts, tires, and transmission levels. For those of you who are currently driving a Toyota Prius or some other hybrid vehicle, the certified hybrid technicians at King's who are now able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the dealer would charge to replace it. This usually occurs, by the way, at about 150,000 miles. Call King's tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis. King's Auto Service and King's Correct Loop and their state inspection service are easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and at kingautomotive.net on the web. Raleigh's most reliable auto care We're talking with Nicholas and Cecilia about their book, UNC A to Z. And before I went away, I asked them if either one of them had in researching a particular item. And by the way, Nick and uh, Cecilia, did each of you 
choose items yourself, or did you share the items, or how did you do that? We had a big spreadsheet, and, you know, we started off kind of picking the ones that we knew the most about, um, you know, because our, you know, we've got different knowledge about different things. So it was the ones we knew the most about, the ones we were interested in, and we finished all of those, and then we were left with a bunch that neither of us knew a lot about, we weren't particularly excited about, um, and we divided up that work um, at, at that time. In doing these, as I said earlier, is there one where you were doing it and you ran across something you didn't expect or that you, you thought you knew the story or you thought it was just going to be plain and simple, but uh, there was a little mystery to it? Um, one of the things that I, I always found most interesting and that I kept coming up was how many of kind of the most cherished and best-known traditions at the university are tied to the rise of, of intercollegiate sports. So, um, you know, UNC... You know, founded in the 1790s, um, but really, you know, didn't get serious like like other universities about college sports until you know started playing baseball in the 1880s, football in the 1890s, um, and so with the rise of you know the sports, you see um, a big increase in some of the the ways that the university is celebrated now. So the Tar Heels nickname was being used um, to, to to refer to the university at around that time. Um, the, the Tar Heel, um, now the Daily Tar Heel started just to promote college sports. Um, school colors, which can come from the Dialectic and Philanthropic Societies, were adopted as the official colors. And the, the alma mater, um, Park the Sound, was also first sung in the 1890s. So, you know, even though the university is more than 225 years old, you know, a lot of, you know, what kind of is most meaningful about Carolina really came with um, – with sports, I, I always thought that was fascinating, and it was not aware how how big of an influence that was. And in the twenties, when big time sports came to America, you know, Babe Ruth and Bill Tilden and Man of War and everything, is when Keenan Stadium was 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 first built, and when uh, Saturday afternoon became something that could be identified as rah 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 this boom ba, and uh, that's right. And uh, you, the school would be known all over the country. Cecilia, did you run across anyone that? It kind of wowed you? Um, I think that what sort of wowed me after a while was understanding how, um, while, while parts of that campus look like they've, all, they've, they've never been changed, buildings and, and landscapes have been changed all of the time and multiple times, and, and buildings have had many, many, many uses. Sometimes you wouldn't even know what they might have been. Like, there's a um, historic old playmakers building that started out as the, um, who is a theater now, but it started out as a law school and combination ballroom. And then in the 1890s, they turned it into a bathhouse um, before there was any indoor plumbing in the dorm. And so that kind of thing is, is always sort of surprising to come across. Right. I think they used it as a stable during the Civil War, too. Uh, seems um, like I, I mean, I was there, and I used to hear all these stories, and one of the things I've been doing with your book is checking them to see if, if I really did hear that, you know. <laughs> but if you, um, That is a popular story that, um, alas, we have not been able to confirm one way or the other. And another thing is I've always tried to imagine Bynum Hall as a gymnasium, and I still haven't been able to do it yet. Uh, uh, That's true. It's uh, uh, before things changed. Uh, but, well, 
everyone will now have the chance not just to listen to us talk about this, uh, but to to have a copy of this book and uh, and spend time looking over it. And as I said, every a lot of books that I have to read to do interviews on the radio, I don't really enjoy. But as I said today, I could not put this one down, and I kept picking it up. And probably I shouldn't mention this toward the end here, but I actually was able to use it for a piece of research today. And that had to do with the big news item of today, having to do with the uh, uh, the publisher of the News and Observer, Josephus Daniels, for whom there is a building on the NC State, I'm not NC State, Forgive me, Tar Heels. Tar Heels, there's a building on the uh, campus named the Daniels Building, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yes. And there's a fairly concise uh, uh, depiction of exactly who Josephus Daniels was in in, in your book. And so I, I was able to use it for research. And I think somewhere you say that you intend it to be a reference book and uh, not, not a... Not a all-conquering history. Well, I want to thank both of you for putting up with me tonight and talking about this book, and I, I kind of hope you, you talk about at the end the fact that we need to write some other books, and I hope both of you will either independently or together combine your knowledge and uh, and turn out some more books that have to do with uh, some some important places on the university campus at Chapel Hill. Uh, I want to thank uh, Nicholas Graham and Cecilia Moore for being our guest tonight, and I'll, I'll try to be in touch with both of you tomorrow, and thank you again for being on the show tonight, but I appreciate your being with us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you.